This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about the two proposed stage two rules for the High Tech Act Electronic Health Record Incentive Program. Our guest is Debbie Wolf, Executive Advisor at Booz Allen Hamilton. Thanks for joining us today, Debbie. My pleasure, Howard. Two proposed stage two rules have been issued. The meaningful use rule spells out how physicians and hospitals must meaningfully use certified EHR software to qualify for a second round of incentive payments. The certification rule sets standards electronic health record software must meet to qualify for stage two of the program. First of all, in general, what do you think about the privacy and security provisions of these two proposed stage two rules? Are they a substantial change or improvement over stage one? What do you think? Well, I think they're an important improvement. I think there are enhanced privacy and security efforts uh, addressed throughout, and in most ways, more specific standards, acknowledging new advances in technology, and just, just to name a few ways that I think there are important improvements. I would note, though, that ONC and CMS have opted for what I would term tried-and-true protection methods, uh, not creative ones. Uh, they're looking for, I believe, a balance between regulation and industry burden while keeping public trust at the forefront. And, you know, I would say, in the end results, these should be a good foundation for future advancements for the next stage. Both of these Stage 2 rules include more details about encryption, but stop short of an encryption mandate. Can you walk us through the enhanced encryption requirements in both rules? Well, walking you through it might take a while. I mean, they are expansive documents, but I do have some highlights that I think we could mention today that I think would be important. For the encryption of data in motion, it appears to me that uh, OSC has chosen to propose proven transport standards. Uh, that's the SMTP, Simple Mail Transport Protocol, uh, SMIME. These are transport standards that provide for encryption and integrity of the data. And in doing so, ONC has opted to use standards that have been used in other industries uh, that are familiar to uh, developers and, and the IT folks. So I would say that it's important to note that they've taken what would be uh, a sure bet. They've also proposed the creation of a patient-accessible log, and this log would be used to track viewing downloading and transmission of patient data. And I think this is in addition to any ability to audit data handling. Uh, this is something that patients would be able to access, uh, you know, at a point in time when they wanted to see who was actually looking at their information. I think that's an important step. I also noted a few instances of requirements for time and date standards, which I thought was a definite step forward in the ability to audit how uh, data is is used, when it's created, when the records are created, and things of that type, as well as analyzing the patient records long term. For encryption at rest, the 2011 criteria in general encryption has been revised to one with more specific implementation guidance. Specifically, this is on end-user devices such as laptops and the tab- tablets that have become so ubiquitous. Uh, it's important to make sure that data resident on those, uh, those devices is unusable, unreadable, or indecipherable. And uh, the standard that uh, has been proposed here is, is the NIST uh, 800-111. Again, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, ONC and CMS looking for 
tried and true, tested standards that are going to work and advance the healthcare industry in improving their technology stance. And so we're looking at encrypting devices when the actual access is stopped as a default, which is important, or um, they can just prove that the information uh, never remains on the end user device, the laptop or tablet, after the access uh, to the to the protected data occurs. And the third item I thought was really important, Howard, was the secure messaging, which is a core objective for meaningful use. And they've come out with a standard for encryption and hashing algorithms, and have gone right to NIST again, the NIST 800-52. So, you know, I think those are uh, the three highlights in encryption. So what are the other significant privacy and security requirements in the proposed meaningful use rule? Are there others? Well, in the meaningful use rule, I thought was interesting was one of the criterion, and and I'm going to try to quote it, protect electronic health information created or maintained by certified EHR technology through implementation of appropriate technical capabilities, which seems to be a very broad statement. And the measure for that, Howard, is conduct or review a security risk analysis in accordance with the rules, including addressing encryption at rest. And it specifies that it must address encryption at rest in the security risk analysis. And one of the reasons why I think this is important and significant uh, is uh, based on some of the work I've been doing, I note that it's important to uh, look at providers as, as businesses as well. And when they look at investing in EHR technology, uh, this risk assessment becomes very, very important. You're looking at how do I do a risk assessment that could justify additional investment in the technologies that I need to meet meaningful use. The meaningful use incentives, although uh, they are substantive uh, incentives, do not pay for everything. And so when looking at how do I apportion the money that I have to operate, I'm looking to invest in information technology, this risk assessment becomes uh, a very critical item, not only for security, but to make sure that they can meet the the meaningful use requirements. One thing uh, I would recommend that maybe the listeners take a look at is there's a recent ANSI ANSI publication that addresses the financial impact of not protecting PHI. And in that document, there's outlined a specific model for actually looking at how much it will cost an organization of any size. The model can be applied to smaller, large providers. How much it would cost them if they suffered a breach of protected information. And that model can be used to help frame up uh, a return on investment, so to speak, for additional investment uh, over and above what might be the meaningful use incentive. Okay, let's talk a bit about the software certification rule. What are the new uh, privacy and security requirements in that rule? Well, here's one that I really thought was interesting. Uh, the actual meaningful use criterion is view, download, and transmit health information within four business days of the information being available to the eligible provider. And I think CMS had set a floor of more than 10% for the criterion there. The interesting thing OMC did with that one is not only talk about the standards for the ability to do those three things, view, download, and transmit. They also 
added a little something about patients wanting to direct their providers to transmit, which I thought was very interesting. And so there becomes this now additional ability on the part of the patient to move information from one provider to the other, not necessarily always requiring the patient to do the moving of, of the information. When it comes to privacy and security, is there anything missing from either one of the two rules that you would have liked to have seen included? Yes, actually there is. Uh, one of the things I thought would be uh, worth additional study uh, would be the reliance of ONC on the consolidated uh, CDA uh, for summary care records. And this standard does include uh, metadata elements for patient identity and provenance and so ONC took the position that they were not going to propose anything additional because the, this particular standard for architecture included metadata. And one of the uh, specifics uh, of the metadata already included in, in the consolidated CDA uh, is the uh, confidentiality code, uh, which has three values, normal, restricted, or very restricted. And while I was glad to see that there's an acknowledgement of the need for metadata, um, what I would have liked to have seen would have been something that applied at the uh, granular data level instead of the record level, because that's what we have here. We have normal, restricted, or very restricted uh, confidentiality codes applying to the record as a whole and not to any of the information within the record. And I guess that's something to be addressed for Stage 3, but that's something I would have liked to have seen um, based on some of what was in the PCAS report and some other discussions. Uh, I, I kind of expected a little bit more there. Okay, can you explain that a little bit more, uh, what you would have liked to have seen regarding the more granular use of the metadata? Well, as an example, well, let me just go through the metadata that are there. The metadata would be, say, an ID number, the document type, identification of the patient, the author of the record, and, and the custodian of the record. But there might be pieces of information, say, uh, a patient's HIV status or a mental health status uh, that might also be included in the record that might need an even more restrictive uh, confidentiality code. And so that would be what I would be looking for, developing what the, these additional metadata might be. And I believe that ONC in their, in their rule uh, asked for comments on that about how, how they could work with industry to develop additional metadata. Finally, what can hospitals and physician groups be doing now to prepare for meeting the stage two requirements, especially for privacy and security? Well, I would suggest two things, Howard. One, I think they might need to open a conversation with their EHR vendor on encryption at rest or look at their systems to maybe design them to eliminate the retention of health data on these end-user devices, laptops and, and tablets. I would suggest that it seemed to me that the preferred method in the ONC rule was that you eliminate the retention altogether so that you can ensure that loss of those devices would not actually incur, you know, the uh, breaching of protected health information. But I also recommend that in the second phase that the providers uh, might, as an added layer of protection, uh, look into things such as full disk encryption and encryption for removable media because there, there is kind of a gap there. In the ONC rule, they talk about uh, who's going to be held to a standard for the 
removable media encryption and whether there's a loss, and it becomes clear uh, to me that they're looking at not holding providers to account in the meaningful use determination if there's been a, a loss based on unencrypted thumb drives or, or things of that type. And I think that providers need to do two things here. They need to address what's the requirement for meaningful use attestation, and they also probably need to take a look at additional tried-and-true methods that other businesses and other, other uh, areas are using to ensure that information is locked down and that would be using, as I said, full disk encryption and some of the other methods that are used to encrypt removable devices. Thanks very much. We've been talking today with Debbie Wolf of Booz Allen Hamilton. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.